Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. So I've been thinking a lot about uh, origin stories and how much we love them. Um, you know, my in my family, we are big fans of uh, superhero movies, and so whether it's the uh, the multiple reboots of Spider-Man or Batman, right, or saga prequels and multiple spin-offs, if you're not a superhero fan, maybe you like uh, character biographies, and the little vignettes, and things like that British Baking Show or um, athlete vignettes, you know, during the Olympics, like Gabby Douglas. I know that was a big one in our family a few years ago. Of course, uh, there's a lot of uh, origin stories, good and bad, being bandied about uh, in the political realm these days. Um, and uh, I, I do think that there's something that really captures our imagination when we start exploring how people got to where they are, right? These people, especially if we know them or we see them at a certain place in their lives, we're intrigued by those origin stories. Um, my daughter and I have been talking a lot about uh, the, the merits of the revival of serial television, right? You know, episodes on Netflix and the ways that storytellers can really uh, slow down their storytelling and take their time to develop the personas and the backstories, not only of the main characters, but also of some of the side characters. And uh, we have a little bit of that going on here today in our story. Uh, because not only do we get the origin story of the Apostle Paul, who is perhaps one of the most influential figures in Christianity, maybe second only to Jesus himself, uh, we also get introduced to one of the most underappreciated, but perhaps most important side characters in the New Testament, uh, this guy named Ananias. So uh, before we get into this, I, I just wanted to give you a fair warning. Um, this sermon may not be super note-taker friendly. I don't have like a clever outline that rhymes or has alliteration or anything. Um, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will help you grab ideas and, and write down some points that you think uh, he is speaking to you today. Um, we're, we're actually in the, in the middle of our series on the book of Acts. And you might remember uh, way back at the beginning when we started this series, uh, we took a look at Acts 1.8 where Luke gives us a little bit of a, a cue as to how he's going to organize his book. He's going to chronicle what happens to the church when the Holy Spirit comes, and then the disciples will be his witnesses first in Jerusalem, and that becomes chapters 1 through 7, and then in the areas of Judea and Samaria. That's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, this close-by region, and we saw that in chapters 8 through 10, and ultimately catapulting the movement of the church to the ends of the earth. That's the second half of the book, uh, chapters 11 through 28. We actually entered into this transition uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when Deacon Val was here, and she talked to us about the growth of the early church in Jerusalem, right? That it started with a small group of believers, and then over time it just started to expand uh, in fact, it was growing so quickly that it required the formation of a new church role, the role of the deacon, which is kind of cool because I'm one of those. 
Um, and then last week, uh, we had Pastor Kevin here who talked to us about Philip, who uh, just before that divine appointment that he talked to us about last week with the Ethiopian eunuch, actually, right, in this movement after Stephen was uh, executed um, and the, the church kind of dispersed, Philip actually was one of the first to preach the gospel and proclaim the, Samar- uh, proclaim the Messiah in this region of Samaria. So we see how closely Luke is following that outline that he gave us at the beginning. And so today we are reading the story in the middle of that middle part. It's chapter 9, which is right in that middle section of chapters 8 through 10. And we are, Luke is doing a really great storytelling job here because he is bringing us right to the threshold of the church exploding into the ends of the earth. And just so it's clear who's at work here, who is growing the church of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants it to be really clear, this is not a work of man. This is not a work um, that, that is without miraculous intervention. Just so that's crystal clear, he is going to show us that, that he is going to use the unlikeliest of characters to grow his church. But before we get to Saul, I think this character of Ananias deserves some attention. So if you would open your Bibles, if you're using one of the Bibles on the seats there, it's page 1395. Um, if you're using your own Bible, we'll be looking at Acts 9. And uh, I, I just, this guy Ananias, he's been on my mind and on my heart a lot during my preparation for this sermon. And I, I want to be really clear about something, especially because a lot of the kids have been in the room with us during uh, the last few weeks. I just want to be clear, this is not the same Ananias who lied about selling his property and giving money to the church and then was killed back in Acts chapter 4, okay? This is a different guy, all right? Um, in fact, this is a guy who uh, the, the renowned Bible commentator William Barclay claimed was uh, one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian church. Now, when you think back to like Bible heroes, right? Uh, David and Moses and uh, Joshua, some of these other exciting figures. Um, Ananias isn't one of those names that shows up very, uh, very often. But I think that we as the church, not just our church, City of Light, but we, the church at large, universal, we have a lot to learn from Ananias. And so I'm going to actually start by by looking at the middle of the story. Um, And that's what God is doing in Damascus uh, while Saul is having all this stuff that's going on with him, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But I I wanted to just direct your attention there, starting at, at verse 10. Um, what we learn from verse 10 is that Ananias is already a disciple. He is, he is actively involved in following, as, as Luke calls it, the way. He is participating in the life and the mission of the church. He's doing that prayerfully. We see that in verse 10, that, that he's in prayer and that in his prayer, the Lord gives him a vision and calls him to a particular ministry. He gives him a prompting. And I think this is a really important lesson for us, how important it is to be in prayer and open to the prompting and the leading and the vision of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, we see that he's really honest with God. God God calls him to something really, really hard. And Ananias knows it's really hard. And he acknowledges that. He's like, Lord, really? really? Do, Do I have to do this? Because I've heard what this guy is doing. 
and is terrifying. And, and just, just to be clear, Ananias' fear is completely warranted. It, chapter 9 begins uh, with this verse about Paul's still breathing murderous threats, okay, which is actually a reference back to uh, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 8, where it says that, that Saul was responsible for destroying or attempting to destroy the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and that word there is the same word that would be translated as like a, a, a wild animal ravaging a body of its prey. I mean, so, so th- these, are, these are not um, baseless fears. So Ananias knows this is going to be hard. But ultimately, and this might be one of the most remarkable miracles that we've seen yet, in verse 17, we find out that Ananias actually went to the house where Saul the persecutor, this high priest-sanctioned murderer, was now hanging out. And not only did he go to the house, he actually went inside the house. This is miraculous. This is profound. This is like Luke facing Vader or, or Harry facing Voldemort or, or the Cubs facing the Cardinals kind of intimidation here. Okay? This is like Moses standing up to Pharaoh and David standing up to Goliath kind of faith. Faith that God knows what he's doing. Ananias had no idea what had happened to Saul on his way to Damascus. All he knew was that he had heard the stories that this man was a vicious persecutor of the church. Now, when we read narratives like this, stories in in the Bible, I, I think we often look for ourselves in the characters, right? We're trying to figure out, like, who, who am I in this story? If I want to turn this into a metaphor for my own life, who am I in the story? If I was in a similar situation, what would I do or what should I do? That's a way that we can uh, try to apply Scripture to our lives. And, and often, we try to align with the main character. And sometimes that works really well. Like last week, as uh, Pastor Kevin taught us, uh, that worked really well if we're, you know, like Philip, and we have to learn that uh, it's okay if the place that we think we're going isn't actually our destination. But sometimes that doesn't work really well to put ourselves in the role of the main character. Um, in, in this story, I think we actually learn a lot more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus by looking at the way that Ananias handled the situation. He's just a a side character uh, in Saul's conversion story. We can see that like Jesus, Ananias actually interacts with the outsider. He went to Saul. He actually touched him. We see this in the second half of verse 17, placing his hands on Saul. And he called him brother. The transformative power of our touch and our words in the conversion stories of people. When I was reading this, it actually reminded me of a a news story that I had read from NBC um, earlier this year about the the residents of a city in um, Syria. It's right on the Syrian-Turkish border, which if you've been following anything in the news, you know this is a, a really dangerous area and it is completely hostile to the gospel. And yet... In the city of Kobani, 
there is a movement of individuals forsaking ISIS violence and converting from Islam to Christianity. And as one believer uh, testified, he, this is kind of what he thought drew him away from his Islamic roots and towards Christianity. He said, after I witnessed ISIS brutality with my own eyes, I started to be skeptical about my own belief. It didn't take long for me to discover that Christianity was the religion I was searching for. No one is forced to convert. Our weapon is prayer, is the spreading of the spirit of love and brotherhood. This invitation into our church community is such a powerful and transformative force. This, this story, this real life contemporary story of what's going on in our world right now is remarkable for two reasons, right? One, it's, it's remarkable that in the midst of this violence and suffering, God is drawing people into repentance and faith. And, and two, it's remarkable that there was already a church established so that those who were seeking could attend. The fact that the church exists today is a miracle. And it's actually anchored in this moment here, right? That was Saul's purpose. He was going out to try to stop, try to suppress the whole thing, to cut the head off of the beast as he saw it. And this conversion, this interaction with the church through Ananias becomes a powerful part of Saul's transformation. And I think this is true in the world today, that very often conversions that are really encounters with Jesus occur in the church or through an emissary who is from the church. And I think this is a really powerful call for us and what we can learn about uh, Ananias and his approach. Ananias was prompted by the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he acted counterintuitively for the sake of Jesus and the church. And he went to the enemy. Someone that his experience told him was a hostile force. He wasn't controlled by fear. And he spoke welcome and brotherhood to those on the outside. I think Luke wants to make two things clear here through the story, the role of Ananias in Saul's conversion. One is that the disciples of Jesus, the members of his church, that's us. We are called to reach out in prayer and blessing and healing and extend a hand of brotherhood and sisterhood to anyone who the Lord is bringing into our lives. Even if that person seems too far off. And I think he also wants us to see that no one is too far off. As I've been thinking and, and praying about this, uh, this message, I've actually been thinking about a conversation I had with a local pastor friend of mine um, about some of the men in his congregation who are residents at Wayside Cross. Um, they were once perpetrators of horrible crimes, but they are now earnest believers attempting one of the most difficult transitions to re-enter into the, the world. Um, and because of some recent politics here in Aurora, they are actually going to be evicted from Wayside. These are 
difficult, messy, hard, confusing situations that need a lot of prayer and that need practical application. And I'm just, I was so moved when he told me about how other believers in his church stepped up and said, we'll open our house to these men, to these brothers in our congregation that society wants to cast off. These, these men, these disciples with troubling pasts, but what they believe in faith are yet to be seen futures for, the God, for God and for the gospel. It was just making me think about who is it that God is calling me to serve? Who is God asking you to share your story with? Who have you been avoiding because of fear and misperceptions? What's that thing that God has been asking you to do, but you've been too afraid to do it? This, I think, is, is what the Lord is inviting us to see in the story of Ananias. But I think we're also here to hear a little bit about Saul. So I want to talk about him a little bit before we're done for today as well. Um, Ananias might be the, the hero of the story, along with Jesus, of course. But it's still the story of Saul's conversion. Um, so if Ananias, his role in the story shows us how we as the church should act What's Saul's role? What is it that we're supposed to learn from Saul? I think it's really powerful for us to see this is a great way to illustrate how God works in the world, what he's up to and how he works, particularly through the church. Now, I wanted to get one thing clear, especially if, if um, church and the Bible are kind of new to you. Uh, you know, you, you might be a little bit confused about this guy. And, you know, who is, is he Saul? Is he Paul, how do we find this out, right? Like, how, how does that relate? Um, well, I just want to let you know, first of all, like, the, he's actually both guys. Um, th- this character that we refer to as Saul here, uh, later in Acts 13, uh, his name will get changed to Paul. And uh, I, I know that so, some people like to make a lot of this. This is like one of those moments that, you know, like, like Abram, how his name got changed to Abraham after a really dramatic encounter with God. Um, this actually isn't like that. Uh, Saul is just, that, that was just his Hebrew name. That was his uh, Jewish name to kind of emphasize his lineage and his authority. Uh, and Paul was his Greek name. And it was the name that he started to use after his conversion, after his call, and once he began his missionary journey. So all of his letters that he wrote to the churches in these regions of the Gentiles, um, he assigned uh, with his name, the Apostle Paul. So if you're wondering what the relationship was between them, I just wanted you to know it's the same guy. And that's why this story, this conversion is so important. The truth is, though, we, we love these, these kinds of stories, right? The, the enemy who converts and becomes an ally, right? It, it's, it's like the, uh, the, the story of Gollum converting to help Frodo or Loki teaming up with the Avengers, however precarious that alliance is or Favre getting traded to the Vikings. So does, does Luke intend for us to see Saul's conversion as a typical kind of conversion? Does, does this illustrate for us what we need to have in our own conversion stories, or is it something exceptional? Um, the Anglican theologian John Stott suggests that, in part, this is not a typical conversion. This is an unusually dramatic event with visible supernatural events, such as the bodily appearance of the resurrected Jesus. And so if we're looking for that in order to have our conversion experience, we might not have something of that experience. But for the most part, Stott suggests, this is 
a typical and instructive kind of conversion. What he emphasizes here is that every one of us must have a personal encounter with Jesus. That we must surrender in repentance and faith to Jesus. And that we must receive his summons for service. We saw it with Ananias and we see uh, Jesus or we see, hear God tell Ananias that he's going to call Saul to great things as well. So these are three things that we must all do as disciples of Jesus. Have that encounter, surrender, and engage in service. Now, some of us might feel a little envious that, uh, that Saul's uh, encounter, his conversion, um, gave him the opportunity for a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. We might feel like we're getting left out a little bit. Um, and one of, the, one of the main points that I wanted to, to just emphasize as we close today is that we really don't have to be envious of Saul because we get to have a direct physical encounter with Jesus through the church. And this is a gift that God knows that we need and he wants to impart to us. Uh, We see this correlation established, right? When, When we know that Saul is going out and persecuting the church, but when Jesus shows up and appears to him on that road to Damascus, he asks, why are you persecuting me? And in this moment, we see that there's a strong correlation and it becomes fundamental to Paul's teachings later on in his letters that the body of Christ, the church, is the embodiment of Christ to the world. And I think this is a really profound gift of what the church can offer to all converts at whatever stage they are in their journey. This is illustrated really profoundly near the end of the story of Saul's conversion. First, it's important for us to recognize that that Saul's conversion, um, I I know sometimes we like to think of it as, um, in in our minds, that it's like this light switch that flips, right? That it's this on-off experience, that the salvation, this Damascus Road kind of experience, it was this rapid and sudden change. Uh, But actually, God had been at work in Saul's life for a long time leading up to this moment. And that moment on the Damascus Road where he's blinded is actually leading him to that encounter with the church through Ananias. And the story closes with this really uh, profound instruction. Here's how the story ends. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Do you notice his response? He's baptized and then he eats. If you're thinking about communion, I don't think that's a mistake. This is what the church offers to all converts. Physical activities that help us battle the doubts and fears, the self-loathing, the the doubts of our faith that plague us in our hearts and our minds. We all 
need this kind of encounter, this real physical encounter with the resurrected Jesus. We don't all get to meet Jesus in bodily resurrected form on the road to Damascus, but we all can encounter the resurrected Jesus here in the church through the sacraments, the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. This is why we have our baptism waters This is why we get to have those really important moments, that that baptism experience that marks our entry into that covenant and our confirmation that marks that declaration of our personal faith. It's why every week we get to participate in this meal, this communion celebration that gives us strength for the work and the ministry ahead. I love this story of Saul's conversion because it reminds us that not everyone is going to have a dramatic Damascus Road experience. In fact, most will not. Nevertheless, people who are hostile towards God and his people are converted only through real, personal encounters with Jesus. And if that's not in a bodily resurrected form, in a miraculous sudden flash of light, it's here in the church, locally and universally. So this morning, if you're identifying with Saul, if you're feeling far off from God, if you're feeling that, that maybe you're the worst of all sinners and the unlikeliest of converts, I want to assure you that no one is too far off, that God's salvation is offered to all people. In fact, you're, you've been pursued by, the fact that you're here means that you've been pursued by God and that you're here listening to this is no mistake. You're being invited to let the transformation begin to encounter Jesus and let every hindrance fall off your eyes like scales and receive the gifts of the church. But if you are a believer and you're a member of the church, then I invite you to see what Ananias offers you, this challenge to be in prayer for those who seem to be the unlikeliest of converts, to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, especially if he's sending you to someone who seems far off, to be ready and willing to go into uncomfortable situations and name what the Lord is doing in brotherhood, to be ready to serve and minister to disciples and to new converts. Let's pray. Ever-living God, whose will it is that all should come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, inspire our witness to him that all may know the power of his forgiveness and the hope of his resurrection who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.